Happy Lent, everybody. Before we consider today's scripture reading and today's message, I want to extend words of gratitude. Thank you, Adoramus, for that beautiful gift and for all of our musicians for leading us in worship this morning. Thanks to our tech team. A lot of folks are worshiping online today because of travel issues with the marathon. So hey to everybody, as well as the hundreds of people who have signed up to the MyFUMC app. Some of you who are obviously new, this has been shared with you by friends and family. I'm so thankful that you're joining us. Especially hello to our United Methodist Fellowship out in Cisco. Glad you're worshiping with this with us this morning as always. Uh, I want to say thanks to a couple groups of volunteers this morning. One, I want to say thank you to the group of volunteers who leads our Friends Breakfast every Sunday morning here at the church. If you're not aware, we have a community of volunteers that welcomes our neighbors who are experiencing homelessness here to our church on Sunday morning. There's breakfast, there's a homily, but most importantly, there's connection and community and friendship here in the church on a Sunday morning. So thank you to all of those volunteers who lead that ministry, and I want to invite any of you to uh, be a part of it as well. It is a great way to make the kingdom of heaven real right here in the city of Fort Worth for even more people. I also want to say a word of gratitude to members of our church who served as volunteers this morning at the marathon. We had a bunch of members of our church over at 5th and Houston Street that were passing out water and Gatorade to the runners as they were going by, who were cheering them on, who were celebrating with them. I showed up at 745 this morning just to say hello and thank our volunteers. And that's right when the super elite world-class runners were passing by. And I thought about joining them and I said, no, not today. <laughs> It was impressive to see, though, and I was just saying thanks to all those volunteers. They were just out there blessing and supporting our community in this really important day, and I'm so thankful for those members of our church who were just sharing what it is to be a church who's a part of the party in downtown. I also want to say a very special word of gratitude to some members of our team, to Pastor Samuel and to his wife, Sabi, to Pastor Ginia, uh, to Pastor Brenda and her husband, Elsie. They spent two full days over at the Marathon Expo, the Cowtown Expo. They set up a booth on behalf of our church. We were the only church there that was there with a bunch of different booths and 60,000 people coming through. And according to the word that I heard from Samuel and from Brenda and from Ginia, literally constantly for two days, people were wanting to come up to talk about our community, to talk about our church, to make points of connection. It was incredibly meaningful. We passed out over 1,500 gifts, copies of the Wesley Co Covenant Prayer, all these things to help make sure our church was present in the community. And one of the things that they did was just say, can we pray for you? Is there anything for which we can, we can lift up in prayer? We can pray with you right now, or if you'd like, you can, you can write down a prayer request, and we'll take it back to our community of faith, and our prayer team will pray with you. And over the course of those two days, they filled out hundreds of prayer requests. Members of our community, all members of our community, by the way, who are healthy and strong enough to run a marathon, <laughs> still had this many prayers. And of course, I'm, I'm uh, observing people's privacy, but I mean, as you read through this, so many people in needing of healing, so many relationships in needing of healing and hope, so many people in needing for new doors to be open, for new strength, for new possibilities, and, and it's our honor and our joy to pray for those folks. And I just want to show you, this is what it looks like when a church shows up in its community and says, we love you, God bless you. Is there any way that we can be a blessing to you today? So thank you so much to our team who was a part of that. Thank you to all the members of our church who just show up. And from what I heard from our people who were there, it sounds like an extrovert's dream. So if any of you golden retriever type people want to be a part of something like that in the future, make sure to sign up. And it's a great way to just have a great time and bless our community. Thank you to everyone who's a part of that. 
So I want to transition into today's message, and I've shared over the course of the 10 years that I've been here some aspects of my personal life, and one of those is you may know that at the age 25, I thought I had allergies and ended up going to the doctor, and after a long time of tests, we discovered I had stage 4 lymphoma, stage 4 blood cancer. And then the day after I received my diagnosis at age 25, I lost my health insurance. I wasn't able to get any more. A few weeks later, the business I was working for went out of business, and so I was an uninsured and unemployed stage four cancer patient. And I don't want to ruin the ending. I end up making it. I don't want to spoil it. (laughs) I end up making it. In fact, just a couple months later, I was able to find some secondary insurance. But for a few weeks there, I was receiving cancer treatment that I needed, but it immediately drained the very small amount of resources that my then fiance, now wife, and I had at that age. And of course, we experienced medical debt. I'm so thankful for the local uh, medical system that treated me, but there was a cost associated with it. And, And just those few short weeks of not having any insurance, I was able to accumulate a debt that was many multiples the time of whatever I was capable of earning at the time. And so at one point, you know, payments were starting to come due, and I called and I said, you know, I I need to try to work out a payment plan with you guys. And they said, well, you owe about this much, but if you would be able to pay about 90% of that, we'll call it even right now. And I said, ha, 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 (laughs) ha. How about one-tenth of 1%? That's what I can do. And they were, they were so generous and so realistic with me, and they set up a payment plan, a 0% interest payment plan, and I made a payment to them every single month and have for a very long time. And uh, per the terms of that payment plan, at 0% interest, the term of, of that loan, I'll have paid back all that debt fully in about 50 years. That's what the debt was. That's how large the debt was, by far the largest debt I've ever had in my life. I've also shared with you guys what happened last year. So just last year, I I went to get the mail, like I do um, every day, and I received a letter from that medical system, and the first page of the letter said, we've adjusted your balance. We've made an adjustment to your balance. It's very, very nondescript. And then the next page was all, you know, looked like a spreadsheet printed out, and this had my new balance, and it was, had highlighted, and it just said zero dollars. I still owed 35 years of payments. And for no reason that I understood, I got a letter from the medical system that was sent to me, and it just said, you have a new balance, and it's zero dollars. And all that debt is gone. And so I thought what any of us would do, you know, would think, I've looked around for the cameras, <laughs> and there's no cameras, and so I think, well, this is, a, this is a mistake of some kind. I mean, what does this mean? And so I called up. I was half afraid that, like, one of the members of our church worked at the hospital and did that, and I was like, that's really nice, but not ethical. We can't do that, guys. Uh, and I called, and I was getting ready to speak, and I spoke to someone, and they said, no, we can verify this is absolutely true. It, it wasn't just you and, and the person who was a part of that. They couldn't really explain it. That's just not their part of business there at that medical system. And they said, all I can tell you is that for some reason, some decision was made, and a large group of people received this debt forgiveness, and, uh, and you were a part of that group. And so, you know, amen. Good luck. I said, that's incredibly, that's, that's amazing. That's such a big difference for me and for my family. I, I didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it. They don't know who I am. To the best of my knowledge, it was just an incredible blessing. And so I went out. And imagine what would have happened. Imagine what would have happened if I had responded this way to that gift. I want you to imagine the people who made that. I want you to imagine the people who made that decision to forgive the medical debt of so many people, because I was current, I was paying, I'm one behind it all. Imagine the people who made that decision 
and what they were hoping that decision would mean for me and for the other people that received that forgiveness. Imagine what they hoped was possible for me and for my family and for my children. And imagine if that had happened and I had received that kind of forgiveness and if I had walked into the front yard and I had seen my neighbor right next door, my neighbor who owed me $10. Imagine if I had walked out after receiving that kind of forgiveness out of nowhere and I had seen my neighbor who owed me $10 and I said, hey, where's my $10? And he says, I don't have it right now, I'm sorry. And then if I started to choke him and if I had him thrown in jail for theft, Imagine how that would make the people feel who made the decision to forgive me and for so many others, what they hoped that would make possible for me and for my children and for my family. And imagine how it would make them feel if they saw me do that. Imagine what that would tell them about the state of my soul. Imagine about the ripples I would be creating in the world if I received something like that and at the first moment committed that act of violence. I want to be really clear, y'all, I didn't do that. <laughs> that's the only way I can try to make clear what it is to have this kind of forgiveness made possible in someone's life. I feel kind of vulnerable sharing just real-world financial information like that, but it's the only place I can kind of give a, a window into what completely unexplained forgiveness looks like and then what living into that faithfully and not faithfully looks like in turn. This is the season of Lent, and if you're part of a traditional worship service in a traditional church, you may be familiar with the concept of Lent, but if you grew up in a non-liturgical church tradition, for thousands of years, the Christian community has looked at this season of life, this, when you live in an agricultural season, an agricultural community, and you're dependent on what grows out of the ground to fill your cupboard, this is the time of the year where the cupboard is empty. This is the time of year where tummies are grumbling. And for 2,000 years, Christians have taken this time waiting for the yearning of spring to reflect on how deeply it is that they experience the reality of separation from God sometimes, their need for forgiveness and reconciliation and penitence. We use this transition from the cold into spring as a time of reflecting deeply on how much it is we need the good news of the resurrection in our life and what the reality without it might be like. That's what the season of Lent is all about. The scripture readings in the season of Lent can be a little hard to hear as well. The scripture readings for this, oh, we've come up with are the sermon titled Tough Love. And we're using that description of them because they can be hard to hear. They can, they can seem difficult. They can seem harsher than we expect. But ultimately, Jesus is giving us each one of these teachings, and they come from Jesus because they're about the life that we were intended to have. They're loving for him to tell us. They're drawing us into something better. And if they're harsh, well, that says something about us and not about them. I want to thank Elaine Johnson, who helps coordinate our worship services, and she did just such an amazing job reflecting this and coming up with our altar decorations. Individually, the different elements are things like weeds and thistles, but altogether, you see ultimately that they're beautiful. And to think that they're ugly says a lot more about us than it says about them. That's the truth behind these scripture readings. And that's the transition I want to bring us into our scripture reading today. Our scripture reading is the continuation of a conversation. It begins with a conversation that Jesus is having with his followers. And he's talking about what happens when people sin against each other in the church. 
What happens when faithful Christians who profess to love Jesus and to follow him fall short and hurt each other in the church? What should we do? In the previous scripture readings, not the ones that we read today, but in the verses prior, Jesus outlines a practice that looks like connection and restoration and rehabilitation and ultimately forgiveness so that people can walk forward into a new world together. But Peter's smart. Peter, his disciple, understands humanity and understands himself and says, okay, but what about when it happens again? And what about when it happens again? Because I know others and I know myself and these kind of things keep happening. So how much should I forgive? Should I give forgive seven times, he says. Seven's a symbolic number to them. It's kind of like 100 to us. It represents fullness and completion. It's a divine number in their mind. So he thinks he's got a really smarty pants religious answer. Should I forgive seven times, he says. More like seven and seven times, Jesus says. But in order for you to understand how important this is and why this matters, let me tell you of a story of what happens if it doesn't. I want to talk really quickly about the concept of forgiveness. Too often forgiveness can be manipulated or abused, particularly by the people who've done something that requires forgiveness. They'll see other people, particularly if they know they're a Christian, and say, you should forgive me. And what they mean in that is, I want you to say that what I did didn't hurt you and that you don't care and that I shouldn't feel bad about it. But that's not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is about experiencing something that really happened and really mattered and saying that placed on me a burden, a weight that I refuse to carry anymore. And now y'all know what it feels like to come up and follow Mr. Mark who's just explained it better and in a lot funnier way, but really that's what forgiveness is. Now I want to highlight that some of us have experienced things that were done to us that were brutally wrong, that maybe happened in times in our life where we we're incredibly vulnerable and we're committed by the kind of people who were responsible for protecting us. So I just want to, exp I just want to acknowledge that forgiveness comes in different ways and in different times for different things, and not all offenses are created equally. I want to acknowledge that. And more than anything else, what I want to highlight in forgiveness is the path forward into healing. And not to say that it's easy and not to say that it's automatic, but to encourage you and give you hope that it's possible. And that a new life is possible on the other side of it. And this is what's so important to Jesus, that he needs to make sure that Peter understands. And so he tells Peter a story. And in your Bible, it probably has a heading. Something that says something like the unforgiving servant. I wish it had a different heading. I wish it had a heading that said, the king who is trying to change the world. Because I think what that, this scripture reading is really about. To help them understand, Jesus tells them a story full of characters and people that they would understand from the world in which they live. He tells them the story about a Gentile king, a non-Jewish king. They can just tell because of the way the story's been told. And they understand that the way that kings run their kingdoms is to have people who are responsible from extricating wealth from the people to whom are subject to the king. That's just how it works. Kings take money from the people, take land from the people, take resources from the people, take goods from the people, and the kings use it to build their armies, to build their castles, to make themselves great, etc., etc. That's just what kings do. That's how kings operate in that time and place, and everyone who hears that text knows it. 
But those kings aren't the one who are actually walking around and collecting those taxes. They have administrators in their administration that does it, and they're slaves. They have no independence. They can't choose to say no. They have slaves who are responsible for doing that work on behalf of the king. And the people who read this text would immediately understand that that's what's happened. Because ultimately, in that organization, there's one person who's responsible. Jesus tells the story of what happens when that king comes to his slaves and says, where's the money I'm owed? This wasn't their money that they took out on a loan. This is money that they were responsible for collecting from the people. And we can tell immediately because the first slave is asked to give over 10,000 talents. Now, ancient denominations of money are hard to relate into modern day understanding. What you need to know is that the entire accumulated wealth of the kingdom for one year would be one talent. So you, who is obviously the administrator over everything, give me the last decade's worth of money that you were responsible for collecting for the king and his kingdom. And he doesn't have it. He has none of it. He has bankrupted the king. He has undermined the king's leadership. He has humiliated the king in front of everybody else. He's made the king seem weak and vulnerable. He can't provide for his kingdom. He can't provide for his armies. He can't build what it is that he desires to build. And it is all this slave's fault. He was responsible for all of it, and he has none of it. And the only thing that is just and right in their world, they know, is for that man to be punished. To be himself and all of his family sold away, not because it begins to make back one iota of the money that was earned, but because he so humiliated the king, he deserves nothing else. But this is the story of the king who's trying to change the world. This is the story of a king who's creating a new kingdom, a new kingdom that's not about counting the balances and who is owed what to whom. This is a king who's trying to change everything. And so the king who's trying to change everything says to that slave, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. That's not how my kingdom is going to be run anymore. That's not the kind of king that I am. That's not the kind of world that we're going to live in anymore. I have mercy on you. And even though what is just is to punish you, I have mercy because I'm trying to change the world. That's why he forgives. That's the kind of God that we know we have. But what happens next is what Jesus wants us to make sure to understand. That forgiven man goes out and he sees somebody else. He sees another administrator, another slave who's about the same work. And just like the king doesn't go around and individually collect all of these taxes, neither does that head administrator do it himself. Rather, there's people all up and down the organization who are responsible for collecting different amounts of taxes to be sent up the ladder for the king. But the king's just erased the debt of everybody. The king's just said, this is no longer how the kingdom is going to run. That money was ultimately for the purpose of the king, and the king says, I don't need it. And this chief administrator goes to another person who was responsible for collecting taxes in his certain area. He was responsible for collecting the equivalent of one low-wage worker's wages for a couple weeks. That's it. And this man who had been shown that the king is changing everything goes to the other person and says, give me what is owed. 
but it's not for the king anymore. It means it's for him. And the man says, I don't have it. But what this man says is, then you're going to jail and you're receiving punishment and you're receiving abuse and the freedom that I've been given, I'm using instead to incarcerate and to torture you. People hear this story and it sounds to them like a man who messed up and is sent to hell. That's not the point of this story at all. It's a story of a man who's been given everything and uses that freedom to create hell for others. Do you understand? Why is Jesus telling this story? Jesus is telling this story to answer Peter's question. Peter asks him, Jesus, when should I stop forgiving? Jesus, when should I stop putting down the weights that other people have placed down? Jesus, when should I stop the grace that has been shown to me flowing through me to other people? When should I give up on being a part of this change that you're trying to make in the world? He asks. Never, Jesus says. Never, Jesus says. And it's not because it's just something nice that you should do, but because this king is trying to change the world. And when you stop forgiving, when you stop showing grace, when you stop sharing my grace with the people who need it, you're cutting off the work of transformation that I'm trying to do. This is a tough love message. Not just because it ends with someone suffering the consequences that they've created in the world, but because it asks something of us. Too often we want the forgiveness that we've received through Christ to be an individual transaction. I've sinned, I've prayed, I've received forgiveness. It's great. Y'all should try it. Bye. Jesus says that's not what this is about. You live in a world in which there will be wrongs committed by you and against you. But the one to whom everything is owed, it says that's not the way this world is going to work anymore. I'm creating a new kingdom that's no longer built on the checks and balances of who is owed what, but is instead built on the freedom and grace that proclaims that everybody has the chance to be free. And if you stop forgiving, you cut it off for them. This sermon is tough love, not just because it asks something from us, but because it wishes something for us, that we could be a part of showing the transforming love of Christ to the people who need it. Forgiving isn't just something we should do. It's something we must do as a partnership with the King who is changing the world. May the power to do so be with you through Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Lent is a time where we touch the aspects of ourself that struggle to be your people. It's one thing to receive a word of encouragement and love and forgiveness ourselves. And it's another to look at what it asks of us to be for others in your world. Lord, setting down these grudges, setting down these burdens, setting down these hurts is hard. Remind us that you are the king 
who says that this world will no longer be run according to the costs of who is owed what to whom, but instead by your endless mercy. Lord, help us to make sure this flow of grace doesn't stop with us. Instead, let us show it to the people who need it, given the power to do so by your presence and work. And it's in trusting you that we pray the words that you taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.